We pay MPs to represent us, but we typically only get to know them through edited snippets on 6 o'clock news, party line speeches in Parliament, and Facebook photo ops. We're branching out from the taxpayer talk format to shine the light on politicians you think you know and ones you think you don't. Welcome to MPs in Depth, and welcome to our first guest and noteworthy member of the Taxpayers' Union, National MP for Hutt South, Chris Bishop. G'day, good to be here. So Chris, let's start this with a quote. I think we should trust individuals more than we do, and be more sceptical about the ability of government to solve social problems. You are a member of parliament, so what are your thoughts on that? I think that's from my maiden speech. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're you're very clever. Do you still agree with it? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing to think it was, um, it's coming up six years um, since I gave that. Um, So I've been an MP for a reasonable amount of time now. It's quite amazing just thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. My starting point for my political philosophy really is that um, individuals um, are the centrepiece of society um, and uh, in a general sense they know best about um, how to provide for themselves and their families Um, and I think governments are you know of both stripes um, actually over time have been too willing to use the power of the state and not trust individuals so yeah absolutely. Oh, good. I am I'm glad to hear you're still in, this is the final quote, I promise, unashamed economic and social liberal. But has anything changed? Has your outlook changed at all since you made that speech? I mean, not not in a, in a specific sense. I mean, I think when you're an MP, you, you when I think good MPs, I think I said this in my speech as well, good MPs spend their time listening and learning. And, um, you know, I'm a different person at uh, 36 now um, to what I was uh, when I was 31 when I was elected Uh, and so I think I've learned more about the world in the last five years and I think people would want their MPs to do that and um, I I think um, but what have you learned I mean I came into parliament with a quite a degree of um, experience working in policy and and working for ministers I uh, used to work for Stephen Joyce used to work for um, Jerry Brownlee and before that um, you know Spent a bit of time at law school and things like that. And so I think I've learned a lot more about people in the last five years and what motivates them and makes them tick. And part of that's, um, you know, part of that was required to, to try and win a marginal seat like Hutt South. I, you know, I spent, uh, spent the last five years working really hard in my constituency of Lower Hutt. Um, and, you know, I think my friends would probably th- say this about me as well, is that um, I've become a much more of a people person over the last five years than maybe I was when I was 31, which was... You know, maybe a little bit more theoretical, maybe a little bit more highbrow, I suppose you'd say, it's cerebral about politics. And, you know, fundamentally over the last five, five and a half years, I've learned that, you know, fundamentally politics is about people and making sure you can represent them uh, well. In light of those sort of philosophical beliefs you brought, you know, five years ago, do you think you've done them justice in your career? Well, look, I think I'd like my career to be judged, you know, when it ends. I suppose all MPs would like to do that. You know, I uh, spent three years as a list MP, as a backbencher for national um, in government. And, you know, list MPs in government play an important role. But look, the the reality is, you know, you you don't have any huge political power. I don't think I'm breaking any state secrets in saying that, particularly when you're new. And, you know, Parliament's a hierarchical place. And 
uh, all um, you know, all MP started at the bottom. John Key started at the bottom. Bill English started at the bottom. Jacinda Ardern, uh, you know, started life at the bottom as well. And um, people worked their way up. And um, so I, I'm I'm proud of my contribution so far. I'm proud of winning um, Hut South for national. I'm proud of my uh, members' bill, which provided better compensation for people who can offer up uh, organs um, for those who need them. Um, I think that was a a bill that. Uh, you know, we've passed unanimously. It's made a difference. It's it's helping a lot of people, and uh, you know, it's consistent with my philosophical beliefs. I'm proud of the work uh, we're doing in transport at the moment. I'm the National Party spokesperson for transport and regional development. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty satisfied with how things have gone so far, and you can always do 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 more and do better. But um, yeah, no, I think that's the right attitude. What about? And this is a slightly more controversial question that could get you in a bit more trouble. What about? the National Party, do you think they have done justice to your Liberal cause? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm an, you know, my, my maiden speech, I talked about how I'm an economic and um, social Liberal and, um, you know, I had very libertarian beliefs uh, when I was at university uh, and, you know, when I was growing up, I, you know, read a lot of Hayek and Friedman and, you know, other philosophers like that. So I suppose, you know, I, I describe myself as an economic and, you know, market Liberal, I suppose, is the best description. And then the National Party is a is a broad church. People often say it's a broad church, but it's, and it's a cliche, but it's it's absolutely true. So we, we you know we obviously have quite socially conservative MPs, um, and we have um, some quite socially liberal MPs like me and like Nikki Kay, and there's a few others. But but the fundamental um, thing that unites everyone in the National Party is um, a belief in uh, smaller government when it comes to the economy and. Uh, reducing taxes, getting the government out of people's lives, reducing regulation, uh, making it easier for families and businesses to get ahead, making it easier for people to shape uh, their own conception of the good um, and the good life. Uh, and so that that, uni- that unifies, you know, pretty much the entire National Party caucus. We sort of, you know, the, the social stuff, you know, abortion and euthanasia and um, cannabis or whatever, you know, people will have different views on that. And um, but, you know, fundamentally, we unite around the economy. Is there anything you would point to since you entered Parliament as a real success by the National Party, by your own standards, by your own philosophical standards? What has made you very proud to be a National Party MP? Uh, well, there's lots of things. I mean, I, I think, you know, we're not, one of the reasons I ran for Parliament in 2014 is I always sort of knew I wanted to be an MP at, at some point in my life. And, you know, it's just a question of when I would, um, not when I would be an MP, because obviously that's not up to me, but when I would decide to, you know, put my put my uh, oar in the water, so to speak, and, and go for it myself. And a lot of people said to me, oh, you know, you need to wait till you're 15, you've done this, that, and maybe go and do more or whatever. Um, and, you know, come into Parliament with, um, you know, some um, runs under your belt. And and the reason I ran in 2014 at, at quite a young age, not, not the youngest MP by any stretch, but reasonably young by historical standards, was that I really believed in the agenda and the mission of the, the key and then um, key English governments and um, I, I thought Bill English um, as finance minister did a fantastic job at getting rid of ineffective uh, government spending and focusing the state sector on doing things properly and effectively and over time reducing the size of government uh, and if you look at you know some of the budgets we had back between 2008 and, and 2017 I mean we used to call them zero budgets uh, because there was literally no new operating spending 
for the government each year. Um, there was there was new initiatives and new programs, but they were offset by savings in other areas. And you know, the, this government has has literally no fiscal discipline uh, whatsoever. Now, obviously, we're in a new paradigm with COVID nineteen, so a lot of things have gone out the window. But you know, up until the last um, two months or so, the government's had no discipline whatsoever. And so, I suppose um, I'm really proud of, of John and Bill's uh, and Stephen Joyce's very strict focus on spending that makes a difference and sort of allied to that and one of the other things that I was really impressed by and one of the reasons I ran in 14 was you know what we used to call social investment which is a sort of terrible name and it's not particularly catchy but the idea that government can use data and evidence to change people's lives through effective social spending rather than just a giant money go round is probably um, a nice way to sum it up um, I think is exactly where the government should be going and you know again um this government, uh, you know, to the extent they understand it, they don't believe in it. So, um, or a lot of those sort of concepts that we were advocating in government have kind of gone out the window. Okay, fair enough. Let's take it back to you because this is meant to be a conversation about you. Before you became an MP, what was it that you did, or I suppose particular experiences that might have shaped that philosophy of yours? You know, perhaps a time at university or what your parents were like. Yeah, so my dad was a political journalist. Um, he was in the press gallery in the in the eighties, which were obviously a pretty exciting and discombobulating time for New Zealand. So I kind of grew up uh, watching him on TV. Or I don't really remember it, but I'm told that I used to watch him on TV. But but certainly after he left the gallery, he was in PR and um, corporate relations and corporate affairs. And and my mum was a um, well, mum was at university when I was um, growing up. Um, she was a teacher and then she retrained as a lawyer and. You know, she she came from a very political family. Uh, my dad, my dad's family wasn't political at all. My mum's family was, and so I don't know. We I just grew up in a household where we we're always talking about current affairs, always talking about politics, and I was really interested in politics. You know, from about twelve or thirteen, and um, I remember talking to dad about the eighties, and I just got really interested in uh, Rogernomics and um, the changes that you know swept New Zealand at that time, and then. Studied at school and then um, eventually went on to politics at university, and um, I, I just got really interested in bas- basically, you know, New Zealand's the, the changing nature of New Zealand. I suppose modern New Zealand political history, so post-war New Zealand history, and and, and that that led me to an interest in uh, the same things that were happening in Australia and the Thatcher government um, in the UK as well. And so, I suppose I'm a, in some ways, I'm a child of that era, um, and I, I, you know, I also studied history at university, so I loved. You know, studying cause and effect and looking back at the past, I think we can learn a lot from the past. And so, um, I I got interested in the in the eighties and Rogernomics and um, and Thatcherism um, and uh, the Hawke uh, Keating government. I'm a big fan of Bob Hawke. My my dog is named after Bob Hawke. Um, and <laughs> that's you know, who Lady Hawke is named after. Yeah, Lady Hawke's named that's after Bob Hawke. Yeah, so she's obviously a, it's a female dog. So. Couldn't call her Hawk. Call her Lady Hawk. Um, a lot of people think it's named after. She's named after the singer. I'll admit that's what I thought. I thought you were one of her, you know, three or four remaining diehard fans. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, it's uh, after Bob Hawk. We were thinking about getting a greyhound actually, which we were going to call Keating. We haven't quite got there yet, but anyway. But yeah, Paul Keating's a bit of a um, hero of mine as well. So uh, yeah, so so uh, you know, I so did a lot of reading about all that stuff and. Um, yeah, and then obviously went to university and um, you know, studied political science and studied history, and um, you know I used to read a lot of Friedman and Hayek, and um, so you know, I, but that's sort of my background really. And you know, as I said before, you know, 
at some point though you made the switch from sort of being a, a young act supporter to being a nat supporter right or if i had a rumor somewhere <laughs> no no it's not well i don't know if it's a rumor or not but um you know i, I mean i used to uh, head around the young act guys at, at university uh, i was never an act party member but um uh, I mean, frankly, they, they had the best parties <laughs> on campus. Um, the young Nats will be unhappy for me saying that, but well, maybe they won't. But I, I don't think it's any. Uh, I don't think they'll be too surprised. I mean, when, when I turned up at Vic in two thousand and three, you know, I remember going to the club's day uh, the other week. Um, you know, thing on the quad. The quad's gone now, sadly. The the windswept quad, um, but it was a, a horrible um, windswept place. But yeah, they had they had the stands up. Richard Preble was there. And he was a guy who, you know, I'd read about, I'd never met, but, you know, read about in the books and read as read I'd been thinking. And so I started having a chat and he was, you know, very garrulous and um, very charismatic and the, the Act Party guys, you know, had three good parties. So, and that's when I first met David Seymour, actually. So I've known David for, you know, a better part of, better part of 15 years. So I first met David in 2004 through Act on Campus. He was, he's, I think he's a year older than me. So, yeah. So if the act parties were so much better, why did you ultimately jump ship? <laughs> well, life's not all about parties. Um, although, you know, 21-year-old um, people probably disagree. But um, no, I mean, I like I, um, you know, I started working for, you know, I started working for Jerry Brownlee um, after I left university. Well, first in opposition and then in government. And then later on worked for Stephen Joyce. And look, I, I, it's not that, you know, David and I are good mates. I, I think he says a lot of good things. But but you know ultimately the you know the, the national party fits more with I suppose my modern political philosophy and you know it's it's a it's a way of advancing your political beliefs in a major party. Okay, let's move on. So you've gone from being a student to a politician, still at Wellington. Do you think there's such a thing as the Wellington bubble? Yeah, I, I broadly do. Um, I mean, I suppose some people would say that's hypocritical because I'm a big part of it, um, having spent a lot of my time, you know, working in and around the beehive. I didn't want to throw that accusation at you, but that <laughs> was in the back of my mind. No, well, I think, you know, I think certainly, you know, when I first turned up on the scene as an MP, uh, you know, I think I think it would be totally natural. People would say, you know, oh, radio, he's this guy, he's, you know, a student. A lot of people used to say I was involved in student politics. I wasn't really. You know, I never ran for VUSA. I was on the publications committee, I think. Um, that's just because I wanted to pick the next editor of Salient, um, which which was um, what you used to be able to do. I don't know if it's still the case. And I was on the university council. But, I, you know, I never ran for VUSA and, um, or anything like that. So I, I was sort of on the periphery of all the stuff around that. But I was never really involved in student politics. But I think a lot of people would have said, you know, oh, he's just this guy. He's, you know, straight out of uni and he's worked in the beehive. He's got no idea about how real people think and real people behave and uh, maybe that was true um you know when i first got elected uh although the 2014 campaign was a, a big learning curve but you know i think over the last five years without blowing my own trumpet too much i think i've you know, i've proven that i can connect to people and make a connection with people and um, earn their trust and confidence you know so as an mp for a, a seat that i hold by more uh, margin so yeah that's been certainly been a development in my in my life and my career over the last five years how was that 2014 campaign a learning curve? Well, I mean, I got selected as the National Party candidate in May 2014. The election was in September. So I had literally four months to, you know, hit the ground running and build a build a campaign in the hut. And, you know, again, I don't think I'm breaking any 
state secrets when I say that, you know, the National Party had never held Hutt South in its modern form uh, and, you know, the party apparatus in the seat was, you know, reasonably moribund. Um, and so, you know, I sort of got selected and you've got four months and you've got to fundraise and you've got to, um, you know, build a campaign team, build a network. And, um, I mean, running a campaign is a huge amount of effort. You know, most people spend, you know, a year to 18 months building up to it. So had to do it all in four months. So, and, you know, it's literally door knocking the first weekend without any collateral, I think, from memory. I just like went out and started talking to people on the doors. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, a, it was a big, it was a pretty, I've got to say, it was a pretty frenetic four months of my life. I, looking back at it, I sort of can't believe, I can't believe we sort of got through it, but um, I'm really pleased we did. It's over now. You've made it safely into Parliament. How long do you plan on sticking around? I get asked that every now and then. People say, you know, oh, you know how long do you want to be around for? And, I don't think you can really answer it. I mean, I decided it was the right time to run for Parliament, so I did. And, you know, when I decide it's the time to um, hang up my boots, um, I, I will do that. And um, I don't, I, I certainly, it's not, not right now. Um, I certainly feel like I'm still learning and still making a difference and still things I want to achieve. So, yeah, I mean, I, I will, when the time comes, I will retire and go and do something else. And I don't know, when, when that time comes, I'll, I'll know, I suppose. What are some of the things that you really want to see achieved before you feel like you can hang up your boots and move on? Uh, well, there's a, there's a few things. I mean, one of the things I've become quite interested in in the last couple of years in particular is is housing um, and you know, failures of, of housing in New Zealand. I mean, I, I represent a constituency where the average house price has gone up by about $260,000 in the last three or four years where rents are skyrocketing, the social housing waiting list has quintupled in the last two years, and where the government now spends a million dollars a quarter housing people in motels. And I just think it's a, a moral disgrace that the government in New Zealand has so stuffed up the housing market that the intervention has to be that the government literally pays. I mean, there are there are entire motels in my constituency of Lower Hutt where they're just filled with people who can't find a home. And the government's paying for them to, to live in a motel. And, uh, and there are entire motels that exist like that. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's the right thing to do in the sense that uh, you have to house people, um, but it's, it's utterly the wrong thing to do from a, from a public policy point of view because, you know, who wants to live in a society where the government pays for people who live in motels, particularly in a country as wealthy as New Zealand? And, our, and you know, it's, a, it's our planning rules. I mean, a lot of work's been done on this by the Productivity Commission and by a lot of smart people over the last... Uh, five to ten years, and uh, we have just created a, a society and an economy where it is impossible to plan housing properly. It's basically very difficult to build a house, and the cost of and, and when we do um, allow that, the cost is so great that people are just totally priced out of the housing market. So uh, that that's something that I've become really interested in the last couple of years, not just because of my constituency, but people my age as well. I mean, I know a lot of people who you know really struggling to get into the housing market. Uh, because the price of housing is just so expensive. And, you know, I, I think it's, a, it's an intergenerational issue. I think people my age deserve the right to be able to buy houses the same way that uh, their parents did at the same age. And, you know, it's, it should not be beyond us as a society to create those conditions. Um, and so that's something I'm pretty interested in. I'm not, I'm not national housing spokesperson, but I am our transport spokesperson. And there's, there's quite a lot of synergies between housing and transport, and that's one of the things that I'm interested in exploring over the next few years as well. 
Well, selfishly, I really hope you achieve that. It's it's looking very tough to buy a house, so yeah, so go a, well. So a lot of people, um, yeah, sort of my age and below, because yeah, they they look at the housing market, and I know for a lot of people, it's just incredibly daunting. It's like, well, the average house in Lower Hutt is now six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Five years ago, it was four hundred, and mm-hmm. people go, well, you know, like like the average house in Auckland's a million dollars. It's ten times uh, median household income. It's one of the worst housing markets in the developed world and we're a nation of five million people we've actually got a huge amount of land we've just made it basically impossible to use the land it's just ridiculous so let's say in our hypothetical utopia you have solved the housing crisis you're ready to leave what do you do after parliament <laughs> i don't know i sometimes people <laughs> ask me that as well I, I don't know i mean i um i was talking about this with my wife the other day actually and uh, we're sort of talk, you know, talking about careers and stuff uh, in light of COVID. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've trained as a lawyer. I never really actually practiced, but, you know, I summer clerked at Crown Law and Russell McVay. So, you know, I'm really interested in public law. So, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I did a lot of debating at university, a lot of mooting as well. And, you know, I enjoy speaking, obviously, as, a, as an MP and debating and arguing. So, uh, potentially go back to the law and, and litigation or advocacy or. I mean, the dream job's opening a restaurant, but you know, it's probably a bit of a pipe dream. Really? Yeah, yeah. What's it called? What's the hypothetical restaurant called? Oh, I don't have a name, but um, you know, I sort of go back and forth about the cuisine as well. But yeah, it's always been a bit of a dream to open a restaurant or a you know, bar or both. Quite interested in food and wine. And one of the things I've been doing in lockdown, actually, is um, we've been trying out a few recipes. And um, you know, it's been quite good, actually, because usually I sort of eat at home. I don't know, probably once every two weeks, usually eat on the run or in the event or take away, to be honest. We don't help either. Um, it's just a little lifestyle I lead. But yeah, I mean, obviously being stuck at home, making use of the kitchen, and um, we started working our way through a few recipe books we got for our wedding that we never actually opened. So um, yeah, and I, re- I really like food and really like wine. I'm a collector of, um, of red, red wine in particular. So I don't know. The sort of dream is, you know, open a restaurant. And, I don't know. Sometimes I think about maybe being a cricket umpire. Um, big fan of cricket and what could be better than traveling the world watching cricket all day wow quite a diverse range of career options well uh, the the last (laughs) two were dreams not options i don't know we'll give it a few years and and see how we go but um all right well we can put that one aside yeah it was useful to have a law degree right i mean you do a lot for law degree so how do you spend your, do you actually get a weekend you say you only eat at home once every sort of fortnight or a couple of times a fortnight are you effectively just working 24 7 um, yeah, I mean, I sort of pride myself on my work ethic. But, you know, weekends are, MPs don't really get weekends, to be honest. You know, if you went through my diary, it's a bit different now, obviously, with COVID, but if you went through my diary for the last year or so, I mean, almost every weekend it would be, you know, it'd be a school fair or a gala um, or, um, you know, a recital or um, concert show that someone's asked you to come to, maybe a school or maybe a um, dance academy, uh, you know, a bit of door knocking, uh, do these community barbecues on weekends. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, pretty much the entire, I, I can, you know, my all my my days on the weekends are, are full, you know, about 9am on Saturday morning through to, through to Sunday night. I try and take Friday night off and go out for dinner with Jenna, uh, my wife. I try and keep Friday, Friday free for a bit of family time. Uh, but, you know, she would tell you that that's not always <laughs> possible either. So, yeah, there's just there's just always things on. And, and look, people 
people expect to see their MPs in the constituencies on the weekend. And um, you know that's that's the time when you're accessible. And you know we've got markets here in, in the hut on Saturday mornings. Again, not operating right now, obviously, but um, you know, every Saturday. And so I do a I do a run on Saturday morning, park run eight o'clock, and then quickly get out of the markets and, and catch up to people. And, um, and then it's just events for the rest of the day on Saturday, and then same on Sunday. So yeah, I mean I, I'm I'm fortunate to represent a constituency that is you know sort of only 20 minutes away from Parliament. So. You know, every every day I'm in, in the. I mean, I wake up in the constituency almost every day. Obviously, and I'm in and around the place. Um, that's not the case for for all of my colleagues who you know have to travel you know, sometimes quite long distances to Wellington. Every you know almost every week for Parliament, and so they're just not around at, at home during the week. I, I am, which is a good thing. Well, that sounds exhausting, to be honest. But good on you. Hope you get some time off. I suppose you're getting a bit of time off now, in a sense. Yeah, a little, a little bit. I'm, I mean, I'm sort of. Um, Trying to keep, I'm, I'm trying to uh, work hard every every day. So I've been running this community captains initiative. I've organised 170 people to run their streets through through COVID 19 and set up community groups for their streets and providing support for them. And my office is calling every senior um, in the hut um, over 70 and asking if they need help. And we're arranging support for people. So yeah, I mean the work the work has changed, but it's it's ongoing. Surely not quite as intense though. Uh, no, it's, it's I mean you finally have the time to cook. Yeah, I've got the time to cook, uh, and um, we've got the time for a bit more, a bit more exercise. It's not quite as intense. It's not running around from event to an event. It's a different, it's a different sort of work. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, let's let's wrap this up with some some quick questions and some fun questions. So, Chris, when we're being completely honest, do you like being a little bit famous? <laughs> oh, it, I, I suppose. It, MPs wouldn't be being honest if they said that um, if they didn't get a bit of a kick out of being recognised and people coming up to you and saying, oh, you're doing a good job. Um, I mean, I, I do enjoy that. Is that why you let New Zealand Women's Weekly cover your wedding? <laughs> um, oh, well, they were interested. And um, so, yeah. Um, do you find it easy asking people to vote for you? I didn't at the start. I don't know what that says about me, but I find it easier now. Yeah, certainly when I first turned up, it, it was, I found it an odd feeling, but, you know, it's, it's easier now. I mean, ultimately, you know, you are there, and every three years you ask people to keep you doing your job. Yeah, it's a bit easier now. What's the strangest request you've received from a constituent? <sighs> strangest? I've had some odd ones over the years. Oh, I got, uh, well, I, the guys at, the boys at Hibs, which was a school in my constituency, asked me to come up and play FIFA with them one lunchtime that was a bit odd fun though they had like the oh so you did it yeah yeah, i did it yeah yeah it was during the 2017 campaign reasonably early on and i said oh what do you want me to do and they said oh we're playing fifa we've got like this we've got this thing going on at school and we want you to come and play fifa against like the champion of the school and we want the whole school to watch basically can you explain what fifa is to people that might not know oh like the soccer the um playstation soccer game or xbox or whatever (laughs) One of the two, and I, I like, I'm not. I'm kind of okay at video games, but never played FIFA before. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah sure, whatever. Turned up, sort of thinking um, there'd be about 20 people watching, and it was like the whole school watching on a big screen in the auditorium because <laughs> I got smashed by the 15 year old. That was um, reasonably embarrassing, but yeah, that was pretty odd. Yeah, this is, yeah, that's probably the oddest I'd say. Do you have any tattoos or piercings? I do not. I used to have a piercing. I had my ear pierced when I was at school. Did you? Um, well, for about three months. Uh, then it got infected 
So I couldn't remember that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it was, I was not allowed to wear it during school. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a little known fact about me. I had a, had a ear piercing. But, yeah, no no tattoos. I'm, I'm well, frankly, I'm just scared of the pain. <laughs> I don't think, I'm not opposed to tattoos. Like, I think I should consider them quite cool, but, yeah, just not for me. What was the first elected office you ran for and how did it go? Well, back in 1996, which was the first MNP election, there was a class election in our class at Hutton's Idiot. And H11 was the name of the class. And we had like a mock election, and I was one of the party leaders, uh, and we lost. We came third. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. You've shown them all now, Chris. Well, sort um, of. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> um, finally, any advice for listeners that are considering getting into politics? Yeah, I get asked this quite a bit by people, by young people and, and students in particular. I mean, there's no, there's no sort of one right way. I mean, like, I, I got into it because I was, you know, I was sort of talked about it on the interview, having a sort of family background and history and, and, and studies, I suppose. So I suppose if you're interested in politics, probably the probably the best thing to do is, is find a party that suits you and, you know, that lines up with your values and what you want to accomplish um, and just get involved in the party. I mean, political parties are... are from all um, stripes, are, are crying out for volunteers and for people who will make themselves useful and um, want to make a contribution. So just find a party and join it. And um, particularly if you're a young person, I mean, the youth wins of all the parties, you know, are, are all really active um, of the three, you know, of, of ACT, National, Labour and the Greens. Uh, I mean, allegedly there's a young New Zealand First um, party that, you know, yet to actually... Um, believe that it exists but apparently there is one uh and so you know particularly you know at on campus is really active again um the young mats are incredibly active and you know young ladies as well david seymour was quite mean about the young nats recently you're going to stand up and defend them they campaigned for more than what was it a, a biscuit and a lie down cup of tea and a lie down <laughs> oh yeah well he's got to play to his um he's got to play to his base <laughs> now the young nats are awesome i mean they've got they've got thousands of members all around the country and you know, they're, they're, they're fantastic. They're, they're completely different to the young Nats that, that they were when I was at university. Utterly different. So the parties are better now to come for Yeah, example. yeah, the parties are, parties are way better. Brilliant, okay. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I just say just, jo- just join a party and, and get involved. And, you know, people, people, you know, New Zealand's a small place, right? So, you know, and I, I, was talking, I talked to people from overseas and, and you know, that they just can't believe that, like, you know, you can join a party in New Zealand and actually meet the Prime Minister. Um, or make you know senior MPs like straight away, and people just can't believe it. But that's what you can do in New Zealand. So just get involved. Brilliant. Well, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.